Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to It's a Date! Season Season 2! Hello and welcome to It's a Date. My name is Kim Burns. Shannon is off today. She is not feeling well. I think she has this flu that's getting everybody down right now. But joining me in our studio is Dr. Wes Crenshaw. He uh, is with Family Psychological Services out of Lawrence. You are a board cert. You're board certified in couple and family psychology. You're also a certified sex. <laughs> I can't even something, say it. Something like that. Sex therapist. Sex therapist. Or sex, if if that's what you're into, I guess. Yeah, it's a certain kink. Mis- <laughs> mispronouncing those words. That's fine. So. Uh, you always have such great advice for us. Let's start today with your five elements of love, the five things that we should all be looking for when we're looking for that long-term part. Yeah, you know, if people look at dating as it's a sort of a natural thing, that it should just flow freely into the world. And if That's that what we were, see in the movies. Well, of course. And the problem is the movie ends, and then you never see how they really turned out. They, like, do kind of a Bollywood dance at the end, and then <laughs> you don't really know what happened. And so we, we I, I have worked and worked and worked over 27 years and about 30,000 hours of seeing clients to try to help people develop some better thoughts about this because human relationships, uh, both sexual and platonic, are really critically important to us. There's a reason why dating uh, is a topic for this show and it and why it's so big a deal in our society is because people do better, whether they're introverted or extroverted, they do better in healthy relationships. And so the problem is once when I used to have my newspaper column in the journal world back in the day when newspapers were <laughs> big and you know thick, um, I had somebody write me and say, uh, I don't know that I even know what love is. What, how would you define love? And I had to sit there and think this is the <laughs> hardest question anybody's ever written in about. Mm-hmm. And so I had to sit down and really create a definition of that. And that's how I got this five elements of love to make what is supposed to be a heart process uh, a head process. Oh, okay. Because really, the worst advice you can give anybody is follow your heart. Really? <laughs> terrible advice. <laughs> it's okay to listen to your heart and feel what your feelings, for heaven's sakes. But in the end, you've got to make your decision based on your values, based on what is important to you. And that's all decisions, but especially a dating decision or or if it continues on a marital or marital type relationship decision. So that has to be a head process along with the heart. And um, what we find is, and this is not, this isn't just a Wessism, this is in the research, that (laughs) there's a a period of what's called limerence, or the new term for this is um, new love energy, where you just are all rainbows and Well, everything's wonderful. Exactly. You think you really like this person, this person really likes you, there's like that euphoric feeling. Right. And then... In that process, the person is wooing you, and we right. hope they are. If they're not, let me tell you what, if they're not wooing you at this point, get out. Yeah. Because <laughs> that should be part of that process. But the wooing may, or it may not, 
be reflective of who this person is in the larger sense. They may just be in their limerence phase where you're the best thing on the face of the earth. And then when they move on to something, you know, uh, more interesting down the road, Mm -hmm. you no longer are as important or that they may really be that kind of a partner. So using these five elements is designed to help you not ignore the limerence phase because that's fun. Right. Who doesn't like new love energy? Um, but to be able to uh, think through how does this really fit me? So here's the five elements of love. And I should tell you, I do need to tell you something, Kim. On the Super Bowl of 2020 uh, day, that Which is Which you can watch you, on Fox 4. That's right. And, and uh, that will be my 35th anniversary on Super Bowl Sunday. And my wife is the biggest Chiefs fan (laughs) that wasn't in your promo. (laughs) And so we will watch that together. But I do, I have a lot of experience moving past the point of limerence and keeping that alive in a relationship. And that is because I really looked at my relationship and the hundreds of others I've worked with to see how these five elements come in. So I surely have promoted that enough. Here are the five elements. Okay, number one. Number one, you want to have a sexual connection with the person. And and in the language of sex therapists, that doesn't just mean having, you know, what you think about having sex. It means the whole sexual person. You you have, there's a certain attraction profile that people will have. And you want to be in that attraction profile, both for yourself and who you are involved with. There should be a kind of a match there. Mm-hmm. We, particularly for women in our society... We really focus on this sort of ideal standard of what a person should look like. and But I sure have learned as women have become much more active um, uh, in the dating process, they too now begin to create some sort of objectifying views of men. And so what you're looking for is not the ideal man. I mean, you you know, you're free to look for the ideal man, Kim, but it's okay with me. But <laughs> He exists is what he, you're saying? Sure. But but in terms of that sexual attraction, you're looking for someone that you sort of match well with, that each of you are uh, feel. You have to have that spark. That's right. It's got to be there and it's got to match up so that both of you feel kind of the same level of spark. You'll get sometimes couples where one person is just much more, uh, by an objective standard, sexually attractive than the other one. And that gives that person an element of power in the relationship mm-hmm. that may not turn out very well down the road. They can always sort of lord that over the person. Um, way back when I was young, there was a song by the group Dr. Hook, When You're in Love with a Beautiful Woman. It's hard. That's the lyric. And that's really kind of true advice. If you feel mismatched with the partner, it's going to be hard over the long term. So you have to have that sexual attraction. You have to feel that's the part where the heart really comes into play and you feel like drawn to them. But for heaven's sakes, don't marry that person because that's one element of a four, four or five part series. The second is an emotional connection. And that, too, is heart-based. You're, you're going to feel close to them in a way that goes beyond how good they mm-hmm. look. And that may take a little longer to evolve, but it's not going to take a long time. You're going to begin to feel that soon. People will ask me, you know, if I'm not feeling the sexual attraction, should I hang around and see what happens? You know, you might. You, you might begin to develop such an emotional connection with someone. That, that they become attractive in the other way. Exactly. And part of attraction profile isn't just how you look. It's how you, f- you feel together. Mm-hmm. And that can be really important. The third element is what I call an intellectual connection. 
there's a couple of different aspects to this. One is the obvious one, like you have similar interests. Frankly, the research tells us political matching is kind of important. If you both have similar views of society and politics and government, that's pretty helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, not like the Conways, uh, the president's assistant right, and her right. husband. They yeah. must have quite a dinner every night. <laughs> um, but to try to have also an, a similar interest, like – uh, or you can be drawn towards that. My my wife, as I said, is a huge Chiefs fan. She used to have uh, season tickets. I that is not my thing. I will do that with her because it's meaningful to her. But we, we long ago, even though we met at a football game, I kid you not. Uh, we she she always tells me I tricked her. But, <laughs> but, but we have other things that are really meaningful to us. We remodeling our house mm-hmm. and going on certain kind of trips, uh, museums. Uh, my kids also love museums. That those are part of our shared intellectual culture, mm-hmm. and that that's important to learn. Even though you can't figure it all out, it's important to learn on a date. If you're going out with somebody and you just think, "Oh my gosh, this person is so boring," uh, or they're or they just are too interested in this in politics, or they're too interested in science, all they ever want to talk about is science. This is probably over the long haul going to be difficult. Right. The second aspect of the intellectual connection is does the relationship make sense? And this will tear people up because it 180 degrees goes opposite to the heart part of it. Right. You have to say if, if long-distance relationships, they can make sense, but there has to be an exit for that. And if you're going to live apart for seven years and try to fly from Kansas City to you know Baltimore to see your partner for six or seven years, it just will not make sense in the long run. Right. Uh, or if you have some really radically different cultural backgrounds uh, that are going to not match very well. So you have to sit there and think about that. And the fourth one is very hard to put your finger on, but I call it a spiritual connection. It, it doesn't mean you have the same religion, although that may become important to some people. Mm-hmm. But it does mean that you have a sense of intimacy between you that really kind of goes beyond the verbal uh language, that you just feel something that's deeper than an emotional connection. It's just a a real spiritual bond. And those relationships will survive a lot of problems Mm -hmm. because the people feel very connected. And the fifth one is very simply time. All of these things have to exist, not in the limerence phase, but over the long haul. And the long haul for dating could be three months or six months or nine months. And in the end, it's going to be 15 or 20 years if you stay together. Right. Maintaining those connections on each of those levels is really critically important. Interesting. Okay, so another thing that goes against what your heart says is coming up with a dating plan, you yeah. suggest. How do we go about doing that? Well, so they're kind of, at the risk of oversimplifying this, there are kind of two sets of people who are in the dating pool. And one set are the pre I'm going to call it married, even though in our society today, the actual act of getting married is becoming less prominent. So married or marital style relationships where you okay. live together for a right. longer than you know a year or something. So in the marriage or marital style relationships, um, you're, you're – you're, um, boy, I just got – that's okay. Jammed up right in the middle edit. of it. I was making perfect sense, and then I stopped making sense. <laughs> Ask me the question again, and I'll get it. So the dating plan, how do we go about oh. producing that? Okay. So 
the two kinds of all right we'll pick it up on the two kinds of people that are in the dating pool so the people who've been in marital or marriage relationships and the ones who haven't yet been in those the pre-married and the post-married the divorced mm-hmm. and they have a lot of similarities uh and they have some differences, but the number one similarity is that they need to think, what do I mean to do in my dating process? We refer to this as either a dating process or dating practice is the word I use quite okay. a bit. Sort of like a meditation practice right. or a psychology practice. You're doing something mindfully and actively. And so the idea of the plan is to take something that people, again, you know, we use this term falling in love, like there's a... Like there's a hole in your front yard and you go out there and fall into the hole. And, I wish it were that easy. <laughs> right. And and if and believe me, the people who fell in the hole of love are uh, in the 57% divorce rate people. The people who go into it with some intentionality and make a plan are the ones who are going to have a better shot. This is even more true for divorced folks because there's a sense of loss and grief and this feeling that you didn't know what you were doing the first time and, oh, my gosh, it's going to be – terrible to be back out there. Having a sense of the plan gives you something to kind of hold on to. And dating for both the pre- and post-married people um, is, can be pretty arduous, and uh, and people will get burnt out and give up. And so if you really know what you're doing, this wastes less of your time. I hate to use that term, but it makes it less arduous, mm-hmm. lets you come back and say, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So you have really have to ask yourself on the front end, and these are questions that people just don't think about. You first need to ask yourself, am I a monogamous person? So do you really want to be in a relationship? That is right. Or do you just want to continue to date around? That is right. And here is what goes wrong if you do not answer that question honestly. There's a lot of self-auditing that goes on in this. You go out and you hold yourself out to partners as someone who really means to be in a monogamous relationship. And then you break up with them or ghost out or whatever. And and why that happens is limerence again. You think those people are just lying to you. They're actually not. They mean it. They think that's who they want to be. Mm-hmm. Then they get through this period of, I call it going up the mountain. And then they get to this peak moment. Maybe, you know, you kissed in the moonlight or you had sex or you did some beautiful date. And then they crash down the other side of the mountain because it becomes too real for them. If a person isn't really auditing themselves and saying, maybe my problem here is I don't want to to be in a relationship. I shouldn't hold myself out this way. And they really are honest about that. Then they cause a lot more trouble for themselves and everybody else. So their dating plan is meet a lot of people, um, engage with them, and be open about the lack of a relationship. Now, to be clear, some other people will come along. And I've had this happen with uh, a lot of times with divorced men, but women too, who will – we refer to this as informed consent. You say uh, – the language I like to use is, I'm, you know, I'm only really good for about half a relationship, Kim. And, and instead, you hear them say, oh, you know, I'm open to you changing me into someone who wants to be with you forever. You don't want to – you're, you, you don't want to misread someone else's dating plan if they're being that open mm-hmm. with you. So that kind of communicating what's your dating plan, what's my dating plan, and really having an honest conversation. So about having that. that conversation, and even early on, like, yes, for me, I'm someone who I eventually want to get married again. I loved that aspect of 
having someone you can, you know, who has your back, you know, right. your partner in crime, you're raising kids together, you know, you, you have that family sitting down to dinner and all of that stuff. Um, and that's important to let people, that won't freak people out. Well, uh, <laughs> you preface it with, no, I'm not saying you, but I'm just no. saying in general, I, w- that's something I want in the future. At some time, we want to sit down and talk uh, on this program about differentiation and the very, very short, because that's critical to all of this. The very short version of that is I'm going to say who I am and I want you to say who you are and I'm not going to try to make you be how I want you to be. Mm -hmm. So if you say to the partner, this is my dating plan, and you actually stated it very well right there to say this was very meaningful to me. I want to be a monogamous person. I want to be in a marital relationship again. And the other person is like, uh, so Kim, I've got to um, go to the bathroom. (laughs) And you're like, okay. And then like an hour and a half later, you know, you're still sitting there ordering (laughs) dessert. Yeah. If that happens, the differentiated, I'm not saying it's fun, but the differentiated response is to say, thank you for not leading me on. Mm -hmm. Thank you for not pitching me a load of crap. Um, and people will come in and they're so sad after a date and they say, oh, he, you know, we, it just happened this week with a young woman I work with. And she said, just, I just thought this was going somewhere. And then he like, he, they, I wrote him and he said, what do you want? And I realized he wasn't near into me. And I said, wow, I'm really thankful for him. And she said, why? Why do you say that? And I said, because he was truthful. It was clear he isn't interested in you. Thank goodness he didn't lead you any further down this path. And she said, you know, I don't, I don't like to think about it that way, but you're right. And she said, well, I've got this other guy I'm talking to. And I'm like, great. Being able to say that person wasn't, wasn't going to meet my five elements and I wasn't going to meet theirs is very important. And really, the most important thing to know about dating is that it's the process of figuring out who you don't belong with. And the differentiate. And that's also hard to stomach (laughs) for the romantic. It is. It is, absolutely. And you have to hear it. Even people will mishear what I said. They'll they'll hear it as the person finding the person you belong with, and that isn't what I said. It's finding the per- people you don't belong with. You sort out people that you are not well matched to, that your plan does not match with, and that is why it's arduous. Is the probability of you bumping into that person at Trader Joe's is pretty low. It sounds like fun, and Trader Joe's would like it because they probably put it on their podcast, but it isn't probably very likely. We were both going in for the cauliflower gnocchi. There you go, exactly. <laughs> and our carts crashed. And your spiritual connection was instant at that point. So, Hey, if somebody likes cauliflower gnocchi, I'm, I'm definitely giving them a second look. Let's Okay, so once you are clear with what your what you want and you hear what they want, what comes next in this plan? Or So you start assessing some things around uh, compatibility of those plans because the plan, you know, this idea of just wanting to be married, that's a great starting point. But there are other kinds of issues. Uh, for example, what role does work play mm-hmm. in your life? I, I just the other day came to this realization. I, I'm almost embarrassed after 27 years. It just finally hit me. Is that the, one of the best predictors of a successful relationship is a person's work ethic. Huh. Um, I, I You were talking about different sort of I- images of marriage. The one I like to use is that the, the 
couple is like two oxen pulling their wagon across Kansas, you know, across the plains. And sometimes one oxen is lame and needs the other one to pull harder, and then the other one needs to take a rest, and this one pulls. And so the the helpmate aspect of being together is really important. It's one of the best things about being married and or being in a marital-style relationship. And so you're really trying you want to be able to say i'm i see work as a critical element in a relationship whether that is working at home or working a lot of it is about working in the workplace bringing in an income being able to say my, one of my plans and there's nothing wrong with this say one of part of my dating plan is to have someone who's financially secure mm-hmm. the the last thing anybody really sets out to do is to pick up someone who's always on the edge of bankruptcy right and yet one doesn't sit down and and necessarily put that in their plan. They may have a vague image of it, but they don't put it into their plan. Another one is sexual compatibility. You really want to learn pretty quickly. And in today's world, especially for young people, this is a topic that comes up sometimes literally before they've even physically met. Wow. And I support that because if you are going to be with someone who has a very different um, vision for sexuality, either in terms of frequency or design style, that's going to be hard to overcome, and there's a reason why sex therapists get a lot of business is you get couples in who have what's referred to as desire discrepancy in terms of how often they want to be sexually engaged or in the style they want to be in. Those are things to just sit down and really think about. And in our society, depending on how old one is, um, one doesn't necessarily put that in and say, this is how I want to be sexually. Young people do so much more now mm-hmm. than people maybe in the returning post-marital phase do. Interesting. Okay, any other any other issues we need to cover in our plan? Um, I think you... Uh, Anybody who's in the post-marital, well, it's true of the premarital phase, too. You want to think about what is the role of children. Yes. A lot of young people are really questioning whether they want to have children, and they're not questioning it the way they were in the 60s. They're questioning it as a very practical issue. Will my children grow up in an environment that is um, five degrees hotter and uh, more lacks water and sort of all these kind of things, the global warming phenomenon or a political environment that they're uncomfortable with. This is something they're talking about. So you really want to be on the same page with dating partners about that, or some people would like to delay having children. Most young people want to delay having children till later on. So they're sort of talking about it as an abstraction as opposed to, I want to have kids in a year or two. Mm -hmm. It's like many years off. But being able to have that conversation, see how how well you match is very important. Critically important in the post-marital group since most of them have children most marriages that fail are marriages with children and you want to be able to really um figure out how to be whether you want to be a step parent how you want to be a step parent if that model is going to match we have a thing in our office we call the draft where somebody comes along and drafts somebody to parent their children oh Oh, it happens all the time and it's a critical problem Uh, you can have a a great divorce, divorce is going on good, and then people start blending families and it all goes to pieces. Mm-hmm. So having a partner in the postmarital phase who really matches your style of parenting and who's willing to be what we call an adult friend to your kids as opposed to being, you know, being drafted to be their new dad or right, thinking right. that's his role in your case. Right. Uh, you want to be sure that all 
makes a lot of sense too as part of your dating plan. What are you looking for? And just making that healthy for the kids too. Yeah, uh, that's about five shows all of its own. It's really a difficult um, process because if the good news is if a um, step parent, a partner, dating partner, possible future step parent does it right, goes in and just really handles themselves well, and the parent of the children handle it well, that can turn out to be a really good and meaningful mm-hmm. relationship. Just this week, I had a young person tell me how much she appreciated her stepdad, what what a great relationship they had, and it was exactly this way. She said, sometimes I think of him almost like my big brother, and, and my language is a really great adult friend, and she mm-hmm. says, he knows what my mom's rules are and everything, but he lets her be the parent. And boy, that is a, that girl's mm-hmm. analysis of her relationship with her stepdad is on point. The literature tells us that that is right. So being in the post-marital field, being really aware of that and how to bring that to your kids is, uh, and how to not bring it to your kids. Routinely, we get people who meet, for, they often get on Facebook and find their high school sweetheart, and then they go out and date them after they've been married to somebody else. And, um, like, have them move in three weeks later <laughs> or something. That cannot go well for kids. And I would recommend it not being part of your dating plan. Right. Do you say what? Like, how many – should you wait six months? Should you wait a year? Do you decide – I mean, obviously, you decide with your ex-spouse on what – how you set up the rules for your kids. But what do you suggest for that? Um, in general, the longer the better. Uh, it, it, you know, you want, it's a balance of wanting to be sure as part of your dating plan that your children will match well with the, the partner. Mm-hmm. That is important, but it's also not thrusting someone too soon upon the kids. The, a year has been the standard. Now that doesn't mean you need to wait a year to date. Um, and I also wouldn't sneak around. I think it's okay to say to kids, I'm going to be in a dating process I want you to know I'm not going to involve you in that for a while, not because I'm not proud of you, but because I don't want to bring someone into your life who is uh, not fully vetted for the year. And believe me, kids are sophisticated people. Mm -hmm. There is not a kid I've seen in my office that I talk down to. They are very sophisticated people. And if you have that conversation with them from middle school on up, whether they respond the same way or not, they're going to get what you're saying. They're going to appreciate that. That's a very critical way to to introduce and to then not introduce uh, people too soon into the situation and to make them ready for that. So this seems very unromantic. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. West, I got to yeah. tell you. <laughs> I, I would look at it. I understand. I would look at it differently. I would say... Um, I would give the same advice I give to couples who've been married a long time is you're not going to get up every day and have this overwhelming, you know, sexual romantic desire for each other. You're falling, you've been married 30 years and you fall into each other's arms and all this. You have to make that happen. You have to make a platform for that. You have to send kids to the sitter. You have to go on vacation, or, or even if the vacation's over to the you know Hampton Inn down the street, you have to go and make that platform for romance happen in your relationship. And anybody who's in a successful marriage for more than three or four years knows what I'm saying is true, or they or they are having a struggle. 
Likewise, your dating process, same way you build a platform on which you can have this romantic relationship. And all of the touchy-feely, uh, uh, limerence, new relationship energy in the world does not make a, mm-hmm. a platform for that kind of love and romance. My wife and I, we, we should do a segment this year from Jamaica on the show because um, my wife and I go every year to Jamaica and we go to a couple's, literally called Couples Resort. There's your pitch. I own no <laughs> stock in this company. And, and the, you, you have to be a couple to go there. You can be a gay couple, you can be a straight couple, you can be a married couple, unmarried couple, old couple, young couple. You got to be a couple. And to see It's fun for me because the only people who would go to this resort, and there's probably 200 couples there at a given time, are people who get along well. Uh, Once in a while, you'll see some conflict, but these are people who can stand each other Mm -hmm. for two weeks, you know, in Jamaica and enjoy each other's company. And I love to sit down there and I'll tell my wife what my hypotheses are for the week and observe (laughs) people, you know, see what they're doing. And those people are really every one of them, whether they're just, some of them are just getting married there and some of them have been married for 50 years. Uh, they're building that platform. Mm-hmm. And the same has to be true in the dating world is if you build the platform, the romance will come. I just made that up for you, Ken. <laughs> Pretty sure that's I've heard a that movie, somewhere else before. Movie reference, you know, <laughs> fill the dreams. But if you build the platform, the, the romance comes. If you think the romance is going to build the platform, I'm sorry, Kim. I'm sorry. (laughs) You have it backwards, yes. All right. Any parting words of advice? Well, I think the one other thing I would say is a lot of people in their sadness, whether it's in their post-divorce sadness or in their sadness from having gone through two or three iterations of figuring out who you don't belong with, will say to me, you know, I just, I need to work on myself right now. And there are two reasons that that is a, is what we call in the business a cognitive distortion. The first is... Does that mean cop-out? Well, actually, you could call it that. <laughs> it, you, um, you, that will sort of be right. It, the, you're, what you're doing is you're saying somehow magically by isolating yourself, you will arise to become more successful in your dating process. That that just doesn't make sense. It's avoidance behavior. And I'm not saying throw yourself into every, you know, bad idea you can think of, but I am saying the only way you become more fully you is in the context of others. And so that's the number one reason I advise people not to, you know, go into this sort of meditative state and become interesting right you're only you know carly simon said in uh, one of her songs i'll never learn to be for myself all alone and it's true you have to be uh, the best person you can be in the context of others you know it's not like you you build your car in the garage and no one ever sees it and then you open the door and drive the beautiful car out it has to happen in the context of other people watching and being involved with you the second reason is because that is the fastest way to fall in the love hole in your front yard you will ever see you're sitting over there hiding on the porch and not wanting to expose yourself and someone comes up and sees you in your state and draws you out into their um, into their romantic aura. And very rarely does that turn out well because you become a passive 
a recipient of someone else's romance. And you just don't want to be that. That sounds fun. It isn't. You want to be an active participant in that. So you are, it's one of the reasons I like Bumble as a dating app is it, it, and there's a critique or two of Bumble, but I like it because women are the active parties. They are the selectors of who they want to respond to. And that was designed with that in mind, the counter argument to that is it just blames women when things go wrong in the <laughs> relationship. And I get, I get that. I get why that would feel that way. But anytime you can be the, an active uh, part of the dating process, it's going to come out better. So awesome. Job. That is my part parting shot. So. Awesome advice as always. Dr. Wes Crenshaw with us today from Family Psychological Services. Where can folks? Check out your website and look you up. DrWest.com. It's dr-west.com. We have nine therapists and one cat. <laughs> and the cat is more popular than I am. <laughs> so, Thank you for being with us today. And thank you for joining us. Shannon will be back for our next episode on It's a Date. <laughs>